church have been privileged to hold this camp. It's a great privilege. I, I wonder how many children have come here over those 50 odd years and heard the gospel and been blessed. I don't know uh, how many have been blessed, but certainly we heard of recently one a girl down in Southampton who gave her testimony to coming on the camp and being blessed. And there have been many others over those 50 years. Some of the seed, of course, has uh, been taken away by the birds. Others has taken fruit, taken roots and bear fruit. We're thankful for that, for the evidence that God has been working here amongst us the privilege that we've had. We're thankful for those, of course, who gave of their time these last two weeks so willingly and eagerly. I'm reminded of the time that Nehemiah was building the walls and he said, of the people then, they had a mind to work. And that's how it has been, that our people here have, in a variety of different ways, have been willing to give their time and work and energy to these last two weeks. And in, in the coming week, we have the work down at Alderbrook as well for two days. Um, we need to pray about that, to continue to pray. The work of the church here has not finished with the children going back to their various churches. We need to continue to pray that the word may be blessed as they've heard it. Some seed takes a long time to germinate. It's not always evident in the first place. But it's our duty to continue in prayer that um, the word may take root and bear fruit in due time. After the song that we're going to sing, Malcolm is going to read the passage that we're going to, John is going to preach to us uh, from later today. It mentions the children of Israel who were fretting and murmuring against uh, God and our first hymn encourages us to fill our hearts with joy and gladness for the many many blessings that he gives us week by week so when the music plays let's stand to sing fill our hearts with joy and gladness
Well, let's hear what uh, God's word is going to say to us this morning. Um, We're in um, Numbers, the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 21. And um, the uh, Israelites um, have come out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land and they're not too happy. So we're going to start the reading at verse 4 in uh, Numbers chapter 21. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go round the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Then we move to John, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, uh, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. <coughs> and, <coughs> and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Amen. Thank you, Malcolm. Our next song is May the Mind of Christ My Saviour. And really, this is, for me, a prayer. A prayer that I might know more about Jesus and have the mind of his. Three things sort of spring to my mind when I think of that. 
Is that what I really want, to have the mind of Christ my Saviour? It's certainly what I need. And the third thing is, what a difference would that make to my life if I did, in my relationships with others, in my walk, what a difference would that make if I had the mind of Christ my Saviour? So when the music starts, let us stand and sing. If you would like to come up the front. Great, come and sit down. It's good to see you. It's a warm day, isn't it? Who's hot? Oh, yes, yeah, so am I. So am I. Come and sit down. All right, plenty of room for a little one. That's it. Come and sit down. 
Right, I have some things in my bag. Have I got a volunteer to come and put their hand in? Harvey, you want to come put your hand in? Right, let's see what you're going to bring out. Ready? Put your hand in. Oh, you've got my Bible. Come on, you go and sit back down with my Bible then. Cool, I want that one back though. Yeah? What else have we got in here? Someone else want to come with that? Come on, you come put your hand in. See what you can find in here. Ready? Be careful, it might bite. What have you got? Oh, what do you think they are? Open them up. What do you think they are? They're binoculars. Yes, you've got my binoculars. I'd like them back as well. What else have we got in here? Someone else. Someone else would like to? Come on then now. You come and... Tell, you pop your sweets in there and take something out. No. Oh. What have we got in here? What is it? What can you find? Anything left? Oh, what have you got? What is it? Do you know what it is? It's a torchlight. Yeah, brilliant. That's it. You sit down with that one. It's a torch. I have one more thing left in my bag. Would you like to come and get that? Would you like to come and get it out? I wonder what this is. What's that then? It's a scarf. It's a scarf? Of course, quite hot. You can keep that one, I think. Don't need a scarf. Now, can anyone start thinking what might be joining all these different things together. So what we've got, we've got my Bible, okay? We've got binoculars, we've got a torch, and we've got a scarf, and we've got one more. Does anyone else want to come and get this one? Come on, Jess. You need to click that. What's it done? What's it done? Oh, so you can see something. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Great. So we've got some pictures. What have we got pictures on the wall of? What have we got a picture of, Katie? Yes, we've got some teachers up there, haven't we? We've got teachers. Now, what might join all these things together? A teacher, a Bible, a torch, a scarf and some binoculars. What might join them all together? Hmm. Hmm. I think this one here is the one that's confusing everyone, isn't it? What's this got to do with anything? Right, I need a vol- another volunteer and it can only be one person. Come on, let me come there. Right, does that give us a clue? What can Annie... She's blindfolded, what does that mean? Go on. She can't see. She can't see. So when it's really dark at night and we're going out for a walk, what do we need? A light, a torch. Elle's got a torch. If we're up mountain climbing and we've got a long way to walk and we want to see something a long way away, what do we use? What can we... A car, did you say? Brilliant, yes. <laughs> binoculars, yes. We use our binoculars to see a long way away. Okay, brilliant. If we're stuck at school and we're trying to do some maths and you can't see, you can't understand, who do we ask? Who do we ask? Our teachers, they help us to see. Now then, Harvey, can I have my Bible back? Thank you very much. Would you like to go and sit down? Yes. Go on then. Our Bible. How can our Bible help us to see? Okay. Has he got eyes? No. Well, our Bible's a little bit like a teacher. A teacher helps us to understand. And the Bible helps us to see in two different ways. 
Now, we have a Bible verse. Can anyone think, before I put it up, of a Bible verse that we might use to help us see? Yes, I thought it was a blank slide there. <laughs> there wasn't. Would you like to read it out? Okay, so your words are a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if it's dark at night and we want to see where we're going and the path is uneven, okay, we use our torch, don't we? And it helps us see. And we're told in Psalm 119, David says, in fact, the whole of Psalm 119 is how much David loves God's word, okay? And we're told that the Bible, God's word, God's law, is a, a light to our path, it's a light to our lives. As we walk through life... It helps us see. Now, I thought we'd try and put this to the test. And we'll see whether you could do this. Yeah? So I wonder if you could use the Bible as a light to your path to help you to see how you should live. Now, I don't know about you. Who likes chocolate? I like chocolate. And do you know what makes chocolate really special? If it's gone in the fridge first. A piece of cold chocolate is lovely. And you know that your mum has put some chocolate in the fridge. Okay? But you also know that you shouldn't have any. Now, I want you to think. Because deep down, you want some. You would like to go and take some of that chocolate out of the fridge. But what should you be thinking from the Bible to help you with your action about the chocolate? And you're thinking, should I take it? Should I not? How can the Bible help you? Is there anything in the Bible that can help you? No? Not a thing? Okay, that's fine. Do not steal. Okay, so the Bible says do not steal. But you so want that piece of chocolate. Anything else in the Bible that might help you? Don't be tempted, yes. Well, the Bible actually says don't be tempted because the devil tempts us and we have to say no. Okay, it'd be nice if we weren't tempted. That would be great, but we have to say no. What else might help us? So we've had do not steal... What happens if our mum was to say, you mustn't have a piece of that chocolate? That's it, honour your father and mother, obey your mum. So that piece of chocolate in the fridge, you've now gone to the Bible for two different verses of whether you should have it or not, haven't you? Now, if you, if you did actually go and have a piece of chocolate, and your mum was to say, Annie? Have you had a piece of chocolate out of the fridge? What would Danny's reply be? What would Danny's reply be? Thinking about what the Bible says. Pardon? No, does the Bible encourage you to tell lies? It does. <laughs> no, sorry, Jess. You're right. The Bible says that we shouldn't lie. So even when we're caught out, we've gone and had that piece of chocolate, and our mum say to us, Did you take that piece of chocolate? What should we do? We should tell the truth and say yes. Okay. And what this is proving is actually that in our hearts we want to do wrong things. But the Bible is showing us that we want to do wrong things. But just as you would have all admitted to your mum that you'd nicked that piece of chocolate and you'd have been honest, the Bible says there's forgiveness. It says that we can be forgiven if we say sorry. If we come to Jesus. So just as the Bible shows us the way we should live, it also shows us how bad our hearts are. And when we realise our hearts are bad, we need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. Yeah?
Now, Steve finished on three really good questions. Okay? Because this verse is so well known. We all know this verse. Every us, all of us in the church know this verse. But actually, it's putting it into practice is the big thing. It's not about knowing it. It's about doing it. So Steve's first question was, do you want it? Do you want God to be first in your life? Do you want God's word to be, help you live your life? Okay? Because number two, you certainly need it. We all need it. We all need to come to God's word. And we all need um, to listen to what it's saying. Because, question three, it would make us different. It would be different. It would help us because Jesus would take our sins away if we come to him and ask for forgiveness. And he would help us to live the way that we should. Okay, so remember, when your conscience says something to you, listen to it, because it's telling you stuff from the Bible, whether you should or shouldn't do. Well, thank you for listening really well. And if you want to give me back the bits. Thank you. Brilliant. That's it. Go and find your seats. Thank you, Martin. Well, shall we turn to the Lord in prayer? Let's pray together. Almighty and ever-gracious God, do teach us how to pray. May your Holy Spirit direct us, guide us in our praying here this morning. O Lord, you know how each one of us has come here to worship today. And we pray, O Lord, that indeed each one of us may be stirred in our hearts, that we may listen carefully, but listening is not sufficient. We need, O Lord, to have it affect our hearts to turn to you in repentance and godly sorrow over our sin, to look to you for redemption. O Lord, we pray that you will speak to each one here this morning. We do not know how they have come. We do not know what is the pressures on their life, but you do. You know about each one of us. You are the sovereign God. And we give thanks that you are indeed in control and over all. All events that happen in our life are ordered by our God. It may not be what we want or what we hope, but may we realise that in whatever circumstances we are, our God is in control and over all. And there is a purpose in our lives for whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Lord, we, we come with thankfulness for the way that you have helped our young people's leaders in this two weeks. You've heard and answered prayer 
And we're thankful, O Lord, that we have, as a church, been able to support our young people's leaders in prayer and that they may feel the comfort of knowing that they have been supported in this way. Help us to continue, O Lord, uh, as the weeks go by, to pray that you will guide and bless those young people who have heard the word in these recent weeks. And we pray, O Lord, for the continued work down at Alderbrook and that that may be uh, a blessing on Tuesday and Wednesday to help those who are leading there to put together the final arrangements. And we pray, O Lord, that those who speak will be given the aid of your Holy Spirit. And that's, O Lord, as so often we understand that the parents also are there present to listen to the talks. O Lord, may it be that they hear the word and are pricked in their conscience and given a desire to seek after the Lord. O Lord, doubtless there are many who uh, do, not, do not know very much about Christianity. We live in a, an age of ignorance. But that is no barrier to you O oh Lord, we have many instances in your word where people who were ignorant of the truth were in a moment brought into a realisation of their need to be saved. Therefore, O oh Lord, we pray that a mighty work may be done. And what we pray for the folk down at Alderbrook, we pray also for us here that, O oh Lord, John and Mark, as they minister to us, may be encouraged to see that our lives are changed, that there is fruit following their ministry. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will encourage them in their work. We commit Mark to you as he now takes up the responsibilities in our church. Thankful, O Lord, for the way that you have led him and led us as a church and provided for us uh, an assistant to John. And that's, O Lord, we pray that there may be uh, unity in our, between John and Mark, um, Mark and the elders and the leaders of our church. Oh Lord, what a precious gift unity is amongst us. And we pray that we may together walk in love and in unity. We pray for Keith down at Pyresh Town for two services this morning and this evening. You know, O oh Lord, the church down there is very low and the pastor is not well at the moment. 
encouraged Keith in his labours there. We pray, O Lord, that uh, you will go before that church and guide and lead them and bless them. We pray for the work that is due to commence at the end of this month down in Jarvis Brook, that that indeed may be uh, flourish and that there may be people in that area who are brought in to hear the word and we plead, O Lord, that a mighty work of salvation may be known in that area. We pray for John Martin as he goes into the home this afternoon that you will encourage him in speaking to the old people and may they be encouraged. May they, O Lord, know your blessing upon them as they gather round the word this afternoon. Encourage our elderly folk who are in homes and in their own home. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing upon them, particularly in this hot weather. Help them, O Lord, to know that you are in control all events in their life. We pray that you will bless them richly from your word. Grant them, O Lord, that they may remember those things that they have learnt and that they may be able to meditate and feed upon the word of God and that they may be blessed in their souls. We pray for John and Esther as they hope to go on uh, holiday at the end of this week, that you will indeed give them rest from their labours. O Lord, you know the arduous task of a pastor. It is no small thing to stand up before the same congregation week after week, and to preach the word. But we are thankful, O Lord, that you have sustained him and helped him through this period. And we ask, O Lord, that he may be given that true rest and peace and restored. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing on on all those who are going on holiday, that you will watch over them, keep them in safety, and your blessing to be upon us. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing to be upon our young people who are awaiting uh, results of exams, uh, the future may be uncertain for them. O Lord, may they be able to commit it to you, to seek for your guidance and get going before them. May, O Lord, your presence be known and desired by them as the future lays before them. Bless our young people away from us or going back to our university life. We pray, O Lord, that you will help them in their various Christian unions. Thankful, O Lord, that they are so active in this work and pray that you will bless them and encourage them where they are, that you will lead and guide them in their lives. Pray for your blessing to be upon them. 
we ask, O oh Lord, that as we come to this time of teaching, that it will be prepared soil that seed falls into. That, O oh Lord, you will help John in what he has meditated upon, what he is, uh, his thoughts. And, O oh Lord, we pray that souls may be blessed here this morning. We're thankful, O oh Lord, that we have this place where we can meet together in quietness and we do not have any fear of invasion and being taken off to prison. But, O oh Lord, the quietness is not sufficient. We want your presence to be here, blessing souls. We want, O oh Lord, to grow in grace and to be fruitful. Therefore, we commit this time to you and seek that you will bless us together. We ask these things through thy dear Son, our Saviour. Amen. Our next song is really an invitation. Come and see. Come and look to Jesus. In whatever circumstances you are, come and look to him for that help that you need. So when the music starts, let's join together.
snakes. Don't know what you think as you look at that picture on the screen. Maybe you're fascinated by them. You enjoy the, uh, the reptile zones or the snake houses if you go to a zoo. Maybe you're frightened of them. Maybe you dream about them. I don't know how many times I dream about snakes. I'm not especially frightened. I'm wary of snakes, but not especially petrified of snakes. But I seem to end up dreaming about them quite a lot. I was speaking to Rosie in Papua New Guinea a couple of weeks ago. And she was telling me about the snake on her roof. Um, she was disappointed that somebody killed the snake on her roof. Um, A lady thought it was a poisonous snake, so killed it, but actually it wasn't, and it was helping Rosie to keep the rats at bay in the house, which were a bit rampant, such as missionary life in Papua New Guinea. Well, our passage has snakes in them, uh, which makes it fascinating and perhaps to a degree frightening. Um, It's part of what happened to God's special people in Old Testament times, the Israelites, And they were travelling through the desert. And uh, this little episode, as well as being dramatic, pictures something very significant. In fact, in these few verses, we have the main message of the Bible pictured. I think it's an amazing picture, really, of what happens later on. And Jesus tells us what it points to. And we will get to that. In fact, we've read about it already. But one thing that's really interesting and struck me more so as I've been thinking about it this time is the fact that snakes are involved in the story in two ways. Hence our title, Deadly Snakes and a Life-Giving Snake. I, I spoke to somebody on my walk this morning, it was quite nice, they were intrigued by my sermon title. They'd read the bulletin, they'd seen the title, they were wondering what it's about. Maybe as you see the title, you're thinking, what's this about this morning? Well, it's about this episode in Numbers 21. And we're going to follow through what happens in five stages as we see this episode with the snakes and a snake used in two different ways, both the problem and the solution. We start off with grumbling. We start off with grumbling. Now, grumbling and complaining is very common, isn't it, in society? It's sadly very common in our lives. I don't know how often you hear grumbling. I don't know how often you're part of grumbling. It was certainly very common and a big feature in the life in the desert of this group of people that were travelling through. And you may say, well, the heat does make you grumpy. I found this out this last few days. And they had plenty of difficulties in travelling through the desert, and they certainly did. But there's a lot more going on here in their hearts and attitudes, and we will find that out as we think a little about their situation. Let's read verses 4 and 5 and see their grumbling. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless bread. Grumbling is often a sadder thing than we realise. (laughs) 
Here are some of the things that made their grumbling so bad and so sad, and they might help us to reflect on our own. Their grumbling was constant. The last ten chapters of Numbers, if we were going through them, are full of their grumbles and full of their complaints. It was an ongoing failing of these Old Testament people of God. It's repeated note, they keep complaining, they keep grumbling. Maybe it is a constant theme in our life. Their grumbling was despite God's immense kindness. They had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. God had provided for them food and water on the journey. God was leading them to the promised land. The whole picture is one of general picture of God's wonderful, amazing kindness and grace to them and yet they are grumbling despite God's kindness. Isn't that easy to do? Their grumbling was very pointed. It had an edge to it. Um, grumbling often does. Frustration and disappointment when we experience it often act a bit like a spear. They have a point to them and that point is aimed. So it says in verse 5 here, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. In our disappointment, we sometimes take it out on others. We sometimes take it out on God. It's pointed, has an edge to it. Wants to hurt others. And wants to, if we could, hurt God. It was uh, ungrateful. God had miraculously, every day, provided food for heaven for these people. They had to just go out of the camp and pick up the bread. It was delivered without Amazon Prime, without Tesco's deliveries. They were in the desert provided with food daily through all of these years. And yet in verse 5 they describe this miraculous wonderful, life-sustaining, nutritious gift from God in verse 5, and we loathe this worthless food. Don't you shudder under it? The attitude it has? The ungratefulness of this wonderful gift that God had chosen to give them every day through their journeys? It's to our shame, isn't it? That so many of the gifts that we have, we're ungrateful for. We pick holes in, we complain about, we grumble about. Our dinner, our car, our new phone. This grumbling was unbelieving. They say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? God had brought them up out of the slavery of Egypt in order to take them to the promised land. 
This was a big slur on God's character. It was a big slur on God's kindness. It was a big slur on God's promises. It was slandering God. It was unbelieving. It was ungrateful. There is poison in this story, you know. But it's not just in the reptiles. It's actually also in their words, their attitude, and it's too often in our words and our attitudes. We get too used to our bad attitudes, don't we? To our hearts being so so sour. And maybe just thinking this through this morning helps us to see what's so often going on in our hearts. You find these things, these five things relevant. Constant grumbling. Grumbling despite God's kindness. Grumbling which is pointed. Grumbling which is ungrateful. Grumbling which is unbelieving. Well, sometimes it dawns on us quite what's going on in our hearts. I found that at times. Maybe we find it as we look at this. So we have the first stage which is grumbling and then we have... Then we have deadly snakes. Now, sin is, is serious. And this ca- account makes that very clear. Uh, some of those who have been on camp this last week have been roaming around Romans, roaming around the letter of Romans. And in their roaming, they came across um, Romans 6, verse 23, which says, the wages of sin is death. There's an end to that verse, but let's stop there for the minute. For the wages of sin is death. Sin against God, the attitudes in it, have their consequences. They are so serious in his sight. They are so wrong in his sight. And what happens here illustrates the the seriousness of sin. Verse 6 is alarming news. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. There are over 3,000 species of snake. About a fifth are poisonous. In the UK we have our grass snakes and we have our adders. But uh, on the scale of things, adders are only mildly poisonous. So do you know when the last person died in the UK from a snake bite was? 1972. 50 years ago. There are other snakes which are deadly, much more serious. The great fear in Africa is the black mamba. It's aggressive, it's fast, 10 to 12 miles an hour, or if I can put it in language you understand, that's six pews a second. And 100% of people die who get bitten unless they're treated. Australia has the most potent of all snakes, it's the inland taipan. And one bite has enough poison to kill 200 people. But uh, he's a shy guy, so he's not actually very dangerous and not responsible for much harm. Uh, Whilst we escape in the UK, 
India has a terrible problem. In the last 20 years, do you know how many people have died in India through snake bites or it's thought, the research? 1.2 million. It's colossal, isn't it? Through their big four snakes that are a menace in India. Now, we're not told here which vipers were, were let loose in the desert, but there were many of them. And they were deadly. And it was God's judgment. They're called fiery serpents. Uh, Perhaps that's because of what was in them was fiery, or perhaps it's because of the effect it had when they bit in terms of inflammation. And it was tremendously distressing, wasn't it? There would have been screams and there would have been people dying. It It was an awful scene in the desert. And it does remind us of a truth that's taught elsewhere in the Bible, Ezekiel, isn't it? The soul that sins, it shall die. That rebellion against God has such serious consequences that from the Garden of Eden onward, sin leads to death. So this is a dramatic reminder to us this morning of the seriousness of sin. Maybe you overlook that. We do overlook it, don't we? We, we're, we're too accepting, we're, we're, we're too generous, we're too charitable towards ourselves. We, we, we forget how righteous God is, we forget how wrong um, evil and rebellion is. And uh, coming to this episode just sort of recalibrates our thoughts about the seriousness of sin. There were deadly snakes. And you can imagine the alarm and you can imagine the distress. And so the third stage is perhaps not surprising, is desperation. Desperation. Well, you can just, you can sense that if in an Indian village there is a a new bunch of snakes in the area causing trouble, there would be desperate concern, wouldn't there? But they're, they're, let's get, notice this, they're not just worried about the snake bites. The, the whole episode has sort of brought them to their senses and it's made them think about their attitude to God. So they know they need help and they come to Moses in verse 7 and they say, and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, you see, it's made them think about their relationship with God, what they've been doing, their attitudes, their words. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Some things happen in life, don't they, which help us to start to see our sin in its True colours. Uh, it alarms us when we, we realise what's really going on in our heart. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to, to make us see more plainly what's happening in our hearts. It was like that in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The people had uh, rejected Jesus And they didn't seem to think that was serious. And, uh, well, everyone else was doing it and they went along with it and they justified their actions. But when 
Peter spoke, it's as if they then see their sin, instead of as a blur, they see it in high definition and they realise what they have done before God. And this is what they say in Acts 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There was desperation over their guilt and over the shame and over the things they'd done and their rejection of God. I wonder if you've ever felt anything like that. You've started to see your, your sin more in sort of, rather than a blur, which doesn't really mean, you see it a high definition, you see what's involved with your heart. Alarms you, convicts you, it makes you desperate because you want forgiveness, because you feel bad because of the way you've treated your creator. And maybe you say, so what, what shall I do? What can I do about this? Well, Moses prays for them. And God tells him to do something which seems pretty strange. And we come then, fourthly, to a life-giving snake. This is what Moses is uh, told to do in verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. No anti-venom in the fridge. No sort of laying healing hands on the people that have been bitten. No suck the poison out quickly and spit it. No, instead Moses had to do some metal work. And he had to put it on a pole. And he had to lift it high up. And news was to get around that if anyone was bitten, that... uh, they needed to find Moses. Moses, if you've been bitter, Moses is over there. That's what God says you've got to do. You, you've got to, that's what you need. You need to go and look at the thing that Moses is holding up. And this was excellent news for the Israelites. And it, it points to excellent news for us. Now, I, I don't hold up a we don't, we're not into holding big sort of staffs and things here. And I certainly don't hold up a big staff with metalwork on it and say, look folks, you've got to look at this. This is what will cure you. But God has lifted something up, which is the solution. You know what the main, most famous verse in the Bible is? Well, I reckon a lot of people would say the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3 and verse 16. Do you know what just comes before it? Jesus refers to this account with the snakes. Verse 14 of John 3, we had it read, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, as him, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, lifted up on the cross, is God's solution for sin. And this was pointing to it. Don't you think it seems a little bit strange that it was a snake on the pole? 
And that was the problem, wasn't it? Snakes were biting people. Uh, couldn't it be a star? Or couldn't it be a tree? Or some fruit? Or a picture of some fountain? Why was Moses holding up a snake? How can Jesus be represented by a snake? Isn't that horrifying? Ironically, um, snake poison is increasingly being used as a medicine or elements of it are being used as medicine. Let me quote one website. Currently, there's a massive focus worldwide on the use of toxins in the development of new medications. Many of these compounds inhibit blood clots in different ways and serve as a treatment against heart attacks. Snakes, venom, cure. That's strange, isn't it? A snake involved with a threat, a snake involved with a solution. Well, that's like what we see here. And the link is this. Jesus, on the cross, took the sin of others. Since the first few chapters of the Bible, a snake has been linked with sin. And Jesus, on the cross, the Bible says, became sin. He bore the punishment of sin. He took the sin of others. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it neatly like this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, of all, if you like, the descriptions of Jesus, there's some lovely descriptions of Jesus, isn't he? He's the lion, and he's the lamb, and he's the vine, and he's the, the bread of life, and he's the light of the world, and Jesus is the snake. What a description for the Holy Son of God to take upon himself. He's the snake because he is the, the sin-bearing sacrifice which takes away the sin of others. And that is God's solution. Our guilt, our shame taken away on the cross. And this desert episode is pointing forward to God's great plan of what he would do for the world. And then we move on, lastly, to uh, the response, which is also thought-provoking. It's looking. It's looking. Ouch! There's a scream. And somebody's bitten. Uh, the poison is in them, and perhaps they can feel I've never been bitten by a snake. I don't know whether you have, but... Uh, perhaps they can feel it start to move a little bit in their, in their veins, start to circulate around their body. What, what's there to do? What have they got to do? They've got to, they've got to look at the pole. They've got to look at what's lifted up. They've got to look at God's solution. They've got to look at the emblem of sin. They've just got to look at it. That's what they have to do. They have to look at it. 
And many of them did in verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. When he sees it, he shall live. So he's bitten, or she's bitten. And they said, come here. Just, just look over there. Hobbles to a place where he can see, and he just looks, and looks, and feels in some way the ghastly chemicals just subside and drain from his body. And he doesn't have to hobble back. And look here is a picture of believing in Jesus. Because that's how Jesus carried on. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, confident in God's way, feeling our need of his help, knowing he sent Jesus into the world, realising that without him, if you like, there's a 100% fatality rate, but that with him there is cure and salvation and forgiveness and life and heaven. We call out to him and we put our trust in him and it says if we look to him and need and dependence, I'm looking to you, Jesus, who died on the cross. You are my only hope. My trust is in you. what you need to do if you haven't done before call out in faith trusting in him and there is a simplicity in looking Uh, we moved uh, Hannah, our middle daughter to a flat share in London last month Uh, her flat share was in um, central London so we looked up on the websites about the congestion charge and this was a first time for us uh, rural townies to, uh, to deal with this, and it was, as often is the case, more complicated than I realised. So I had to set up an account, and that involved uh, creating a password, and uh, I think as well uh, some form of PIN number, and uh, they texted something to my phone, and I had to put that in as well, and... Uh, There were some key questions of your mum's maiden name and things like this which might act as prompts. And then I had to put in some information uh, about the vehicle and its registration number. And then I had to pay, so I had to set up a credit card, put the credit card in, it's £15. And and the whole business, I can't remember exactly, but I think it took a good hour or more. And then we uh, went to um, Dulwich where Hannah was uh, lodging and we picked up her stuff to help her to move to Bermondsey near the Thames, quite near Tower Bridge. And uh, as we did so, we thought it was rather strange that there were no signs about entering a congestion charge zone. And then it dawned on us. We didn't need a congestion charge to get to Bermondsey. I'd made it such hard work, so complicated. I'd spent time and I'd paid £15 that I didn't need to 
And it was free. It was as simple as that. I didn't need to spend that hour. I could have just travelled and travelled back. And that's how some people are with finding forgiveness. Maybe you are. Make it very complicated. They imagine they have to do lots. They imagine they have to pay lots. They imagine it can't be easy. And it's the simplicity in the good news of Jesus. Look and live. Believe and be saved. Are you making it more complicated than you need to? They didn't have to do an obstacle course. They didn't have to hobble up to some high peak. They didn't have to pass an exam on reptiles there in the desert. It was look and live. And we just need genuine trust in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It reminded me of the conversion of a who, who was somebody who was really quite a national figure in the 1800s. His name was uh, Charles Spurgeon. He was a, a Baptist preacher. And this is what he says about the time when he came to know Jesus. I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. So we ended up going to church in Colchester and there was a sort of sub-preacher because the real preacher couldn't get there. He carries on about this preacher. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had little else to say. The text was, Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was I, thought, a glimmer of hope in the text for me. The, pe- the preacher began thus. This is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look carries on, when he had managed to spin out about ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery. And I dare say with so few present he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me, as if he knew all my heart, he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit about my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow and uh, rightly struck home. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And he carries on, there and then, the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him.
look and live. Maybe you've been making it too complicated. That is the message that we get from this account. The seriousness of our sin, its consequences, our desperate need for help, but God's provision in sending his son to the cross and our need to look in trust in him. Well, may God make this passage significant in the lives of some here or some watching this morning. Amen. Well, we come to our last song. I think this is a a great song. As you perhaps know, it was written by a local man, but it just expresses so well, so much about the cross of Jesus. And perhaps it will help you as we sing this through to finish. At the cross of Jesus, I would take my place.
we go. we thank you for the way in which this uh, dramatic episode in the desert points to the truth of the way of salvation through Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to look and live, to put our trust in Christ. May this morning be useful for the spiritual health of those here and watching, we pray. Amen. Amen.